www.finance.back and Barry Preston joins us. Hello, Barry. Jane Klein, how are you today? I'm absolutely on top of the world. We'll be looking at why people don't invest and why you should invest. Before we uh, introduce our guest, first I'd like to come up with our usual disclaimer and any comments made during our program on any investment strategy product is general discussion. You should consider your own situation before making any financial investment decision and seek advice from your own financial tax or legal advisor. A product disclosure statement relating to any financial product discussed should be obtained and considered before making any decision to acquire that particular product. Staff of or companies associated with Pritchard and Partners may hold shares in any company that discussed on this program. Well, we're very fortunate today to have a gentleman by the name of uh, Jamie Nemsis, and Jamie is a co-author of a very popular book, I think running into its second print, You Don't Have to Be Rich to Become Wealthy, and I believe it's the Baby Boomers Investment Bible. He is also a partner and senior advisor with an Investone Wealth Management Group and has been working in the financial planning industry for over 10 years, and we're very happy to have him as our guest today. Hi, Jamie. How are you? G'day, Barry. How's things? Very well indeed. What's the weather like down there in Melbourne? It's perfect. So That's unusual. <laughs> well, I know that we always have a shot if we're interviewing somebody from Sydney or Melbourne. Uh, listen, by the way, when are you going to give us our rugby league trophy back? Uh, we'll see. Okay, fair enough. Okay. <laughs> Look, we've got a lot of things to talk about today, and our subject, of course, is how can we avoid some of the biggest mistakes made by us, we investors. Now, I recently read articles in, a, <clears throat> in an Australian shareholders magazine called Equity, which took ac- extracts from your book, and I've also looked through your book Fantastic. It says uh, certain things that we do, we probably shouldn't as investors. And I thought our listeners might like to hear some of these today. And one of them, of course, is the first one, not in any particular order, the art of procrastination. What's this all about? Well, before we start on that, um, originally when we uh, sat down to write the book, we, we thought about why so many people fail to accumulate wealth uh, throughout their life, and we found that most of them make some kind of mistake. Right. Um, so I think if we can avoid those mistakes, or some of them, there's a, there's a bigger chance of uh, of accumulating wealth and, and retiring so-called wealthy. Right. Um, you know, the first mistake that we've highlighted is that a lot of people put it off. There's always something better to do, uh, family, friends, um, golf, but uh, you know, if we look at the, the life cycle um, of a, a typical investor, it is, and this is very, you know, very basic. Yes. Uh, save a deposit. To, you know, buy a house, pay that house off, pay for the children's education, um, and then start investing. Yeah, true. So effectively, if we can start that life cycle earlier, and actually, you know make some kind of inroads into this uh, life cycle, I think we're going to be a lot better off. We get a lot of people, I see a lot of people as uh, as an investment advisor that come to us in their 50s and they, they are only a third of the way through this life cycle where they should be a lot further. So we encourage people, and, and the real point of writing this book was to give uh, some information to the general population to to get started effectively. Interesting, and I believe one of the uh, well, not believe I read what you have certain quotes, and that says in respect to the art of procrastination, you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. Correct. I mean, I've seen uh, many people accumulate yeah. a lot of money over time by putting 
small amounts into regular superannuation plans. I've also seen a lot of people not not start and earn huge amounts of money and accumulate very little over their time. So. We, we have a saying up here, can you eat an elephant? And most people say no. <laughs> yes, you can, a bite at a time. <laughs> okay, the next one, of course, we have discussed many times, but it's interesting hearing it from other people. Having one basket, why diversify? You know, if you do diversify, it's a lot. it appears to be a lot more work. So if we just keep it all in the one area, less work. What, what's this all mean? I suppose uh, big bets, big returns. Yeah, also, yeah. Also big losses. So effectively, it feeds straight into the power of compounding. If you can produce a regular return uh, in your portfolio over a long period of time, effectively, it will mean that you will accumulate a lot more over your time. Where uh, as much as uh, not diversifying, um, uh, not diversifying means that you could have fantastic returns or you could have poor returns. I don't think many people can can bet their whole life or their, their, their future wealth on the fact of a few investments doing very, very well. And we've seen some pretty poor examples uh, of that. I think that uh, there was uh, one gentleman caught up with West Point and he had his full $4 million retirement fund. Uh, dangerous. Product. Um, so effectively, diversification is about having a number of assets that perform differently in different market cycles, which ultimately means that uh, your total return will be more robust um, year in, year out. That's interesting, though, because when you do look back, I know you can't guarantee returns from the past for the future, but when you look back and put them all the different asset sectors into the one melting pot, it's much better, certainly. Correct. The next one I like you've uh, written in the book, driving blind, no investment strategy. How is this a, a little bit dangerous? I think that um, you need some planned goals uh, if you're going to achieve any outcome, outcomes. In the book, we, we say uh, no destination planned and no, no map to guide you. So effectively, um, by, by understanding where you want to be at mm. a certain time, and they can be broken up into pre-retirement, retirement and, uh, and death, if you like. Um, you, you can decide how much risk you need to take and what investments you need to put in place. Right. So, and, and again, in your book, the next one was, now we are flying blind. Is there any relation to the last one about driving blind? Or what's, what are the two, what are the differences here? Well, um, I think that uh, this is more about... Mistake number three is about having a, a strategy to achieve a goal. Mistake four is about really investing in assets that you don't understand. Um, Pete mm-hmm. Lynch, which is quite a famous investor, said never invest in any idea you can't illustrate with a crayon. Now, that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, we uh, and I see investments all the time that uh, people come in as investment advisors for us to push on to our clients and even with our wealth of experience, we can't understand how they work or how the potential return will will come through. I suppose subprime has uh, made a lot of those groups straighten up very quickly or go bankrupt. Um, so it's really about understanding what you're investing into. What does the underlying business do? What do they operate in? I suppose the best investments that uh, we've made in the last 10 years have been the, the companies we really understand. You know, the banks are relatively straightforward. They lend money, they make a margin. They've got wealth management businesses that make a margin. Um, BHP and Rio Tinto is relatively easy. They dig products, um, or they 
dig resources out of the out of the earth and sell sell them at a margin. You know, if your if your margin is high, you make a lot more money. Yeah, it, it's it's as you as you say, it may look good. Uh, it, it's something, and you, I've I've had many products produced to me, and I really don't know where they're coming from or where they're going to go or the danger and the risk in them. So we just put them to the side. If you keep it simple, the old kiss principle, keep it simple, stupid. You can explain it to your investor. Your investor knows. And, and if a wheel does fall off, you've got a better understanding of why, and you can get back on track quicker. It's amazing well, how many people we see that don't actually know what the investments they hold in their portfolio actually does uh, or do. You know, they, they might even have a business. They might be just listed on the ASX. Hmm. And, uh, they have some kind of interesting names. And if we go back, you, you see examples like uh, Davnet and Voicenet, you know, many of those groups. Uh, no, the, the tech uh, boom. Exist, so. Jamie Nemsis, who is a co-author of the very popular book, You Don't Have to Be Rich to Become Wealthy, and uh, on the side of it, it's got the little heading, The Baby Boomers Investment Bible. Now, another one. Uh, this has happened to me, actually. Falling in love with your investments. It's very interesting. And But then again, why not if you don't like them? Uh, sorry, why not if you do like them? I think the, I mean, the last part of your question comes to diversification. Um, uh, I suppose the, the mistake really uh, covers two points. The first is that uh, we buy uh, if we if you buy investments for not investment purposes, then is it really an investment like a holiday house or uh, like a, um, a painting like a, perhaps? Hmm? Sorry, a painting. I was thinking. Yeah, a painting. Yeah, definitely, or a, you know, a um, a share that gives you a discount to to buy groceries, for example. Ultimately, um, you're buying them for not the not the financial reasons, but the benefits they can give you. Right. Ultimately, the other part uh, of this mistake is uh, having a stock that does very very well for a period of time. Um, it might be benefiting from a change in economic conditions, or even from the early stages of its business cycle. And ultimately, the size of its uh, in the percentage of uh, your total portfolio that that stock holds grows and grows and grows. And, you know, uh, we see many clients that sometimes there's 50% of their whole portfolio in, in that one stock. Ultimately, they're, they're being exposed to a very high risk of if anything does happen to that company structurally right. um, or if um, yeah, more comp- competition comes in. So you're taking a, a lot of risk effectively. Your portfolio is growing, but it's growing on one side with one stock that's a greater portion of it. In any, as you say, in any downturn, it could bring it right back to where it was when you originally started. Correct. Mm. That's right. Also, people uh, fall in love with uh, the idea that it will produce profits. Um, you know, a lot of uh, companies in the biotech uh, area, um, you might have had a friend or family member you know, that has had cancer. So therefore, you, you know, you're investing in companies that potentially can cure cancer, but mm. financially, do they stack up longer term? True enough. Nothing wrong with putting a little bit into them, but not uh, a major portion of your portfolio. Now, the next one, <laughs> this is an interesting one. It's winning the race before you finish. What's this one all about? Correct. Well, we've already set uh, some investment objectives by uh, mistake uh, number three. So one thing that we do really need to uh, understand is that uh, markets go up and down. So one of our objectives earlier on might have been to achieve a, a portfolio of X size or, and getting to that size, you know, you, you have to be aware that maybe it's at the, the top of the market. I'm 
many retirees have made more than they would ever dream in the later part of their life, where right. normally it's made in the earlier. Is that enough? Um, should they have? Should they change their asset allocation? I know uh, I've seen uh, one young guy, and he was involved in the uh, tech boom. Um, he grew his three hundred thousand dollars to two million dollars very quickly, um, and uh, he came and seen us and asked for our advice. And obviously, that was. Uh, very prudent. It was a diversification, relatively boring, if you like, yeah. and uh, to sell sell down that portfolio, um, invest into into majors. His he didn't do that, and obviously the crash came along, and he's all on the premise that he wanted his two million dollars to grow to three million dollars, and he calculated it only take him eighteen months for that to happen, <laughs> and his two million dollars evaporated all the way down to less than his original capital. So. Mm. You know, he thought he'd nearly run, won the race, he was going to retire early and uh, live a fruitful life. Uh, however, go back to work and um, you, know, you really have lost an opportunity that uh, the market had given you. So, so take a little bit of the cream off the top and invest it into good, long, solid stocks. And, uh, and constantly review where you are in, mm. in, your, you know, in your life position. We use another one that uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, Retirees originally were investing their capital for income. Right. Um, so X amount of dollars need to produce X amount of income, and ultimately over the next 30 years, my capital will probably uh, dwindle. Right. Uh, how ultimate? But ultimately, after the last six years, you know, it's no no longer a retirement portfolio. You could consider it a family wealth portfolio, and mm. that, that effectively is totally different to retire. You know, investing a retirement portfolio. So I think constantly reviewing uh, your objectives and where you are um, and what you've achieved is uh, pretty important. So having a portfolio that's flexible. Correct. Now the next one, believing the person in the pub. Now they did a very good story and they convinced me. Is that right? Oh yes, it's fantastic. I've heard this before. Very good story. Well this happens to everyone. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think if we ignore all of them, we'll be okay. Uh, I haven't really heard of too many people you know, getting a share tip from their taxi driver or or the bellboy and doing extremely well in it. And probably, if, you know, if, if the bellboy is giving away... Yes, finding it out, isn't it? Yeah, cash is looking good at 7%, I think. Yeah, and by the way, they've made millions, these people, too, because uh, they also know people that have made a lot of money. Now... This 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 one I, uh, I, I you know it was when I first read it I thought I wonder what's this all about but listen uh, re- relying on white noise what's it, this one it, it's all about that uh, papers and that's what we call white noise and journalists need to sell their publication and you only do that by overemphasizing every impact for every stock and every market. Headlines? Headlines are a perfect example. Like the one I saw recently where the stock market lost $52 billion, but in the scheme of things it was like a drop in the ocean. Correct. And we don't see it when the stock market puts on $100 billion. That's not good. That's good news. And also a lot of the journalists writing these articles um, are, you know, are fantastic at illustrating the point, but... How does the point really um, feed into your portfolio and what effect is it going to have? Short term, long term. That's mm. right. So, you know, if we ignore the white noise, I think we're going to be better investors over the longer term. Now, 
I've been to the races and I've had my form guide and I'm reading up on the story that this horse has done exceptionally well, came third and has been trained a lot better, so it should go better. So I'm picking last year's winners. Yep. Why not? They've got a record. Yeah, that's right. I think um, if we have a... Uh, we've put a table in the in the book that shows the last uh, 24 years of returns and it highlights the, the best and the worst... Um, Asset class, so it's only broken down to asset class, mm. year in, year out. And it's pretty amazing when you look at uh, something like uh, over 24 years, just cash, which is relatively boring, has been the best performing uh, asset class for four years and um, the worst for five years. Mm. So, you know, it's extremely hard to pick in terms of uh, asset classes which one is going to be the best. Typically, it's the least favourite. Mm. Um also, typically, if it's it's an individual stock, something has traditionally happened that has been a substantial structural change in their business or a contract that has allowed the the share market to revalue their their earnings to to a higher rate. Will that happen again? You know, seventy percent of the time it doesn't. Thirty percent of the time it does. Mm. So I suppose it's all what you do well in stocks when the market re- reflects the true value of that underlying stock. Right. And expect it to happen twice in a mm. row is, um, is is probably a little bit unrealistic. And I think we've had some unrealistic, or not well, not unrealistic, but some some fabulous uh, a fabulous period of time over the last uh, five or six years. And whether it happens in the future, no one knows. Correct. People people forget very quickly. Um, and you know, in the last uh, last six years, uh, we use the term that you investors, DIY investors, have dropped a dollar and picked up two from the market, and think that it's going to be that rosy going forward. So, which is not true. The next one, ignoring super. Now we talk a lot about this on our program. We interview a lot of people involved in the superannuation scheme. This is a brilliant investment. That's right. I think that uh, a lot of people, even today still don't understand that superannuation is only a structure and not a product. That's right. And it's a structure with the best tax rates in Australia. So if we um, are going to achieve our, our longer-term um, objectives, uh, what, we can get a free ride by minimising the tax on those investments. Now, superannuation is the most tax-effective energy structure. I mean, over 60, you don't pay any tax at all, um, which, is, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. So... I see um, people that avoid super, superannuation or the entity of superannuation because they do believe it's a product. Yeah, that's true. It's um, and a lot of people don't know where their super, where's their money. It's in super, but they don't know what it's in. That's right. Well, my um, uh, I talked to my my parents about their uh, financial situation, and they and my mum's response about a superannuation is, well, it's not my money; it's your money because I'm never going to get my hands. <laughs> So, you know, it's, uh, it's quite interesting. Now, the other one you've got here, or one of the many you've got here, is why the name Relying on Donkey Magic? What's this all about, this one? Uh, donkey Magic. Uh, donkey Logic. Do- uh, donkey Logic, I yeah, should say. So yeah. Basically, you know, a, a donkey, by nature, you can lead wherever you want to lead it without, uh, without it asking any questions at all. And I suppose... Uh, when we start thinking about accumulating wealth or our, our, our total position, there's a lot of so-called gurus around there with uh, quick-rich schemes and uh, seminars and uh, and uh, even even there's a lot of books. And one of the reasons we wrote this book is that uh, we, we didn't think there was that much um, 
good quality information out there. There's a lot of people selling ideas. Um, so relying on donkey logic is to go along effectively to a seminar or to an investment advisor, ask no questions at all, invest um, all your money without knowing uh, that much and end up you know, losing money or ending up not where you wanted to be. Very much true in that one, absolutely. Now, this next one, speculating. Um, there's no nothing to stop you speculating as long as you don't put everything into speculation. What Should we totally ignore this? I don't think, um, you know, typically when we speculate, and we do well, it gives us confidence. So, as you said, a, a portion of your portfolio can be allocated to speculating, but uh, ultimately we're not about speculating, we're about investing in, in good quality investments, both uh, or, or property shares and, and bonds effectively. One should not assume you're an expert at everything. Correct. I um, Ultimately, what we're saying there is that, uh, and we've used a bit of a, a quote in the book that says, financial advice is like medicine. It, it can be dangerous to rely on someone else's prescription. So there is professionals, financial planners and stockbrokers, if you like, haven't got the best reputation um, mm. in the world, and some of that is called for. Um, a lot of it isn't. I think that there is uh, very professional people out there that yes. are prepared to help you in, in many different ways. And it's just not financial advisors. It's also accountants and solicitors. If we broke up the, the advice network into three, all three have their their expertise and you know similar to yourself Barry you know, we spend um, uh, tens of hours a day um, mm. hundreds of hours a week on, on research and understanding underlying investments obviously there has to be some kind of benefit in that um, compared to a DIY investor sitting at, uh, sitting at home so if we are providing advice on the basis of informed decisions and without bias, you, you would imagine that there is um, some expertise that you could buy in your situation. It might be one-off strategy. It might be uh, right. a review every four years. But fundamentally, there is people that uh, have more expertise than, um, than the individual. Um, okay. Now, one more uh, before we do wind up, and uh, it's been great talking with you one of these most important things i think of the whole investing thing or the whole investing uh, scenario is relying on one's emotions this can be very dangerous oh how emotional is it we've all checked shares, uh, the share prices every day and uh, they typically go down the day after we buy them. <laughs> yes well you sell them they go up the next day correct um so i think that uh, understanding who you are as an investor and your emotions will allow you to be a, you know, a, a better investor. If you are highly emotional, um, and uh, I think that you could put some barriers to, to, to the way you invest. Maybe you, you don't read the paper every day. Or True. You only review your portfolio on a, a strategic basis uh, every quarter, for example, and, and uh, then review the share prices and what you've, what you've made. It's all driven on emotion, isn't it, in a lot of cases? Because uh, if something happens overseas, a company in Australia like Woolworths will drop and it's got nothing to do with it whatsoever. Look, the last one before we have to go is, and by no means least, benign neglect. What do you mean by this, benign neglect? This is, um, this is com coming back to the, the purpose of the book. And, and the purpose of the book is to 
take charge of your finances, take charge of your situation. So a lot of people uh, get involved. I suppose we could refer it back to the tech wreck. A lot of people make a lot of money in tech wreck. Then they lost a lot of money, but what they did is sit on their hands. They didn't actually didn't do anything. Hmm. So I think that that's, that's pretty important. You want to constantly review your situation and, uh, and make decisions. It's a bit like uh, you see a lot of people with the old insurance policy sold by AMP in the in 1980s. Effectively, it has very a small role in their total wealth position, but they've been paying their premium. Don't want to change it. Hmm. So taking charge, I suppose. Okay, well, look, Jamie, uh, on behalf of all our listeners and 2NURFM 103.7 in the Hutter Valley, thank you very much for being a part of our program, and we'll certainly have you back next year because there's a lot of stuff in this book that's good gear. Keep safe. All the very best for Christmas. Thank you, Barry.